Hello everybody, my name is Nkozi and welcome to the Two Sides of a Coin podcast. This week we're going to talk about two movies that just came out. First movie we're going to talk about is a little movie that brings you back to camp. Well, at least if you're a theater kid in the appropriately named theater camp. Also, we're going to talk about the latest in the Mission Impossible franchise. This is number seven in the Mission Impossible franchise. So we're going to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And let's just jump right into it. So if you were a kid and you were lucky to go to summer camp at some point, for most people it follows the same order of operations. You go away for a couple weeks, your parents or your guardians get time away from you so that way they can rest and recuperate and have fun on their own and also you get to spend an extended amount of time around kids your age from maybe your immediate area or maybe places that you would have never met them you have fun you play games you do all those things and then the school year comes around and you go back to school Sometimes you make friends, sometimes you don't. I've had the privilege of going to a day camp or two, and during that I made some friends, so it could work like that for everybody else. But there are other kinds of camps out there. Not every camp is made equal. So when it comes to camps that have you studying or getting better at a particular skill, Obviously, those are going to be different, and that is not portrayed any better or worse than the movie we're talking about today, which is Theater Camp. Now, Theater Camp, it basically is exactly what the name is, and that is it mostly takes place at a theater camp in the Adirondacks, which is very very poorly called Adirondacks it's it's a nice little play on words but basically this theater camp is been funded and it has been helmed by this lady named Joan who's played by Amy Sedaris and once you see Amy Sedaris you're wondering hey how am I or how is this movie gonna go Amy Sedaris is a great comedian, great comic actress, so how is she going to get in and show the leader of this camp and all of its craziness? And the way they answer that is, nope, because in the first 10 minutes, Amy Sedaris is in a coma. So we now have to rely on Amy Sedaris' son, Troy a person who did not attend theater camp, who is a dude bro and most importantly a finance bro that never really became successful. And how is he going to run this camp full of people who do not think the way he thinks? And how are the counselors and everything like that going to manage this camp without one of their big inspirations, which is Joan. And that's pretty much the plot of Theater Camp. 
I, I have to say, when I came into this movie, I did not have super high expectations for it. It was a movie that I really didn't even know much about, mainly because when I saw it, I saw it before any of the trailers or anything like that came out. It was for a Regal Theaters uh, movie Monday, which if you know anything about Regal Theaters, you know, movie Monday, it's for people who have their royal rewards card and Basically, you pay five bucks and you'll go see a movie on Monday weeks before it comes out. So I saw this movie like two weeks ago. Now, there are pros and cons when you follow that method. The pro is that you're going into the movie theater relatively blind. So you have no expectation for what you are going to see. And in that way, you don't need to build yourself up or you just need to accept what's coming to you. So that's good. Bad news is if you really aren't rocking with this movie in the beginning, you're going to really have a rough time with it. So let's I'll loop back and I'll talk about some of the good things about this movie and then we'll loop into the bad things about this movie so one of the good things i liked is that this is a movie called theater camp it mainly has to revolve around theater kids kids who want to be aspiring actors or musicians or they want to be stagehands anything that has to deal with the theater Broadway, movies, TV, anything like that, these kids want to do it. Hopefully, when you see a movie with a lot of kids, it could either swing one of two ways. It could either go to where all the kids are annoying, or it could go to where all the kids are actually nice kids and kind of sweet. And in this movie, they swing to the latter. So I really do want to give a shout out to each and every single child actor in this movie. They just come off as genuine. They come off as kids who are trying to enjoy their summer. And also they're trying to learn and hone something that they're truly passionate about. And when those kids are acting or when they're dancing or when they're studying costume design, you can tell they actually care about what they are doing, which I have to say is very refreshing. Normally, when I see child actors, the way they are written, they are written to be annoying. They are written to be a hindrance to the story. In this case, the kids are the furthering of the story. They are the through line that keeps the story together. That's not to say the kids don't do anything that's weird. They do very, very weird things. At one point, they have a uh, they have a dinner where they pretend like they're in costume, and one of them pretends to a Rotary Club 
to a rotary club. So <clears throat> people who are in this club, they might have been former veterans or stuff like that. One of them pretends like they were in the war. So they're going off and they're pretending like they got hurt in the war. And the main Rotary Club guy comes up to one of the adults and he's like, my guy just had flashbacks because your kid just pretended like they were in the war and they were in the war. Like, this is messed up. And... I really do appreciate that even with that they still come across as these are just kids they mean well they care a lot about what they are doing so it can cause problems when somebody's really passionate about something at times where they're so passionate that it overrides their normal instinct of saying hey this might not be appropriate. We've all seen friends or family members or even done it ourselves where we've all been very guilty of that. So I just I give a huge hats off to all the kids actors in this movie. I think they are consistently the best thing about this movie. Also, I love the style that this movie is shot in. This movie is shot essentially as a documentary style or a pseudo documentary style so right off the bat within the first 10 minutes this reminded me of a movie back in the early 2000s called drop dead gorgeous and that was shot in a similar style and that was mainly about a camera crew recording a local beauty pageant for teenagers and how ugly it can get and all the backroom stuff that can happen everything like that i really love that movie so to see this and have it evoke that same feeling for me was great you really did feel like the cast was present and you definitely felt like the characters knew they were being recorded. So it never felt like they broke the fourth wall, which is a great thing about that pseudo documentary style. They can talk directly to the camera and not break immersion because you know that they are being followed by a camera crew. And I thought that was really helpful. Also, I truly believe that at its heart, everyone is speaking from a place of just honesty. And that comes across in the comedy as well as the heart to heart bits. This movie was written by people who love the theater. And I would not be surprised if everybody who produced this movie or wrote this movie or directed this movie all went to theater camp so they were all just pulling from experiences that they had but it was it was so unique in that even when the kids are waking up in the morning and even when they need to be brought to silence it's not hey quiet hold on 
it's them singing a song lyric and then all the kids chime in and then they just cut it off like you would a music conductor and that's how you get all the kids to stay silent at their morning breakfast i thought just all the little touches were great they had one scene and i'm i know i'm saying more about the movie than i normally do but this really isn't big spoilers there's one scene where the theater kids interact with another camp and at one point they pull off a scene where they pretend like they're fighting and everybody's really weirded out especially from the other camp because they're just look like they're rich kids or business kids and once they see that like the theater kids fighting and then they break it off and they're like and scene and they bow it was so hilarious just to see everyone's reaction like what the hell are you doing why are you doing this and they're like this is theater camp for us we're we're acting what are you doing like that's not what they said that is definitely the vibe you got across so i i really love that everything from the comedy to the drama all centered around what felt like a real place this didn't feel like an over dramatization of a theater camp even though i'm sure it was this felt like this could actually be a real theater camp because it never went too far it never went too over the top even though there were many over the top moments most of those moments were just conversations that were happening however the overarching theme of it felt pitch perfect in my opinion so kudos to the actors to the writers all that it really felt like there was a world here and i actually felt like i would want to visit this world again so this review can't all be sunshine and rainbows so what are the bad parts of this movie well i've talked a lot about the kids and how they're written well and how they are not the annoying part of this movie what theater camp did is they said hey we could either make the kids annoying or we can make the adults super annoying and they chose the latter which is better than choosing the kids however because the adults have so much more screen time they get real real annoying and I mean hyper annoying. They are drawn as being theater obsessed to the nth degree, even more than the children at almost every single level. And the issue is the kids at least have excuses. They are children. They are not adults. The adults are drawn as being these hyper focused people. And the things that they say, which would be fine if you were saying it to another adult, if I were a parent at this theater camp, I would absolutely take my kid out. They have one scene where it deals with a uh, where it deals with a certain substance 
that they are actively portraying to tell someone's story and they cut to the parents and the parents are like what in the world is going on and i thought the same thing i was like there's no way you could get away with this even at a theater camp some of the things the parents looking at i am saying you could not get away with some of the things the adults do in this movie you could not get away with i will say even with that that would be fine if it wasn't for the fact that to be honest this movie has a very very rough opening in regards to the story that's being told the first 30 minutes of this movie are probably the worst part of this movie simply because it takes a little bit too long to get ramped up and it really is elevating the annoying factor of the parents so much so that once the kids really start taking center stage once they really start putting their stamp on this movie you're relieved because you're saying oh at least i don't have to deal with these adults who need to get their lives together so i know that they're written that way by design that does not take away from the fact that they succeeded a little bit too well and the jokes really don't start coming until after like the 30 minute mark in regards to this move it there are some here or there in the very beginning however the jokes really start coming after that part once that comes in the movie really settles into its own it's got a really good middle and it's got a great ending but it's all about getting there and as i said before i saw this early i saw at least three people walk out of this movie within the first 30 minutes now after that everybody was glued to their seat but this was one of those movies where if the ending is what gets you, it's going to get you. If you can get past the beginning, if you can get past that first 20 to 30 minutes, you're going to hang in there and you're going to watch the rest of it. If you do not, then trust me, nothing is going to keep you in this movie. So the final thing that I want to say about this movie is... Theater camp makes me imagine what an actual theater camp would be. And while it doesn't capture 100% the realism, the heart and the comedy, which is good, do capture enough that it makes me kind of interested in something that I did not know I would be interested in. The cast is solid. And while the adults are incredibly annoying, they come across as annoying in a way that's intentional, not unintentional, which is the better one when you need to be annoying. You'd rather be annoying on purpose than annoying by accident. So on this, I'm going to give this movie a high home-cooked meal. I think you should definitely go see it in theaters. I think... If you can get through those first 20 to 30 minutes, you're in for a real treat. If you cannot get through those first 20 or 30 minutes, I do understand. All I will say is the movie does get better 
from that point going forward. All right. So if you have any questions, comments, you want to talk about this movie, you don't want to talk about this movie, please let me know in the comments or email. And next up, we're going to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Say what you will about Tom Cruise, about his personal life, about anything about him. I will say his work ethic is really commendable, at least on that part of himself. Now, the Mission Impossible series has been going on since 1996. So that means it is getting close to 30 years old. So if you feel old now, remember, you might be younger than Mission Impossible or you're older than Mission Impossible. So enjoy that thought. But really, I talk about his work ethic because the rate that these movies have come out, these seven movies, has been impressive, to say the least. Consider this. The longest gap between Mission Impossible movies was six years. That's it. That is the longest gap between Mission Impossible coming out. And I have to say, the fact that he's been able to keep that pace is really impressive. Also, equal fact that he is almost dedicated to putting himself in situations where he is in so much danger. I remember still to this day the airplane scene from I believe that was Mission Impossible Fallout or Ghost Protocol. I remember seeing him strapped to that plane imagining it taking off and I would say man that was really good CGI. It really looks like he took off on the plane. And in a near perfect bit of marketing, I have not seen any movie marketed better in that moment than that. It was, hey, do you want to know how we got you to see Tom Cruise looking so lifelike flying outside of a plane? It's because we actually did it and we did it several times. That is the dedication that Tom Cruise has and the sheer craziness in regards to this franchise and his way of making movies. He is fully committed to make movies the way that he makes them, which is they are tight movies, they're action-packed, and he's going to have at least one scene where he does something absolutely incredible and you know it's him because you're going to see his face the entire time he's doing it and that is just supremely impressive honestly and he's built this entire movie going franchise so let's jump into the latest installment of the Mission Impossible franchise one of the defining franchises of Tom Cruise's career, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, part one. Now, I am really interested and impressed with the fact that 
Tom Cruise is really able to weave storylines through these movies where he's able to have one-off continuation movies. So what does that mean? Well, all of these movies are in order. So that means the events that happened in the previous Mission Impossible movie matter in this one. However, they only matter so much. What matters more are the people that might be introduced from one movie to another. Not necessarily the plot lines from Mission Impossible movies. And honestly, it was not that for a while. Remember, the first Mission Impossible and the second Mission Impossible had almost nothing to do with each other. Really, this all changed with a little Mission Impossible movie called Mission Impossible 3. After that, all of these Mission Impossible movies have been serialized. They've been one after the other, after the other, after the other. And it's honestly been pretty impressive that it's been able to keep that same through line throughout all of these movies. And the thing you really understand is the most important thing in the Mission Possible series is not the storylines of what happened in the past. It's mainly about the characters. It's about the people and most importantly, the IMF team. So Ethan Hunt and his merry band of operatives, that's the most important thing in this entire movie franchise. So coming back is not only Tom Cruise. We also have Ving Rhames coming back. He is playing, of course, Luther. He is Ethan Hunt's best friend, and he's working for the IMF, as he's been doing for the past couple of missions. We also have Simon Pegg coming back as Benji. He is also the technical support, which... I do like the fact that Mission Impossible is one of the few franchises where they'll have multiple people who run tech support. I really like that. Just, it's a nice little nod to the fact that you need a lot of tech support if you're going to be a successful spy enterprise or to pull off impossible missions. You may need more than one tech support person per team. Just, just throwing my own two cents in there. Also returning is Rebecca Ferguson, you know, Isla Faust. This is going to be her third movie. And not only that, the funny thing is the big one that's returning for me is Henry Cerny. And you see him in the trailers. He is Eugene Kittredge. And if you remember the very first Mission Impossible movie, Kittredge is the guy that's hunting Ethan down in that movie. And he is a member of the IMF. So it's really cool that they bring it back full circle and they bring back another person from the very first movie to bring them into this new part of the franchise. He missed six movies he missed five movies in between, and now he's come back in this seventh one. And I really, I just like the fact that 
this movie has this franchise has so much lore in it that they can bring back characters from the very first movie and that be something that's actually interesting it also doesn't hurt that henry cerny is a good actor so he's able to pull off and he jumps back in and it feels like you are talking to just an older more gruff takes less flack from ethan kittredge than before so i i do like the fact that this franchise does a really good job of pulling from its history and not always just relying on these easter eggs to populate it i i love the fact that they are pulling from we're not pulling from mission impossible the tv series which this was we're going to pull from our own franchise and we're going to do it in ways that are actually important to the story. So I really like that. Also, I like that in this movie, the stakes feel like they matter. And that's something that we've been seeing in the past couple of movies. So in Ghost Protocol, it felt like the stakes mattered. In Rogue Nation, it felt like the stakes mattered. Ever since Mission Impossible, I would say three, it felt like the stakes of the movie actually matter and not the stakes matter in terms of a overall situation or they matter in terms of the world being hurt. Really, the stakes feel like they matter because while the stakes are still huge, Mission Impossible has done a great job of making more of these movies feel like they are personal. So, you, you know about the global implication of it, especially the one in this movie. The thing that you're most concerned about is not the global implications. You're concerned about the implications that's going to happen to this team. You're worried about they're going up against this great threat. Is the team going to make it out alive? Not is the world going to be safe? You're worried. You're saying, are all of these IMF agents and associates that I like, are they going to come out of this movie alive? It's not guaranteed that people will end up dying. They set that precedent in the very first movie, which brings me to a really funny story. My dad, God rest his soul, he hated the first Mission Impossible movie. And the reason he hated the first Mission Impossible movie is because... We all remember who the bad guy was from Mission Impossible, the very first movie. Spoilers, if you have not seen the first Mission Impossible movie, which, why? But the bad guy in that movie is none other than the character who was the lead in the Mission Impossible TV series, which he hated till the day he died because he said you ruined the love of the TV show, that guy was as straight as an arrow. He was loyal. So the fact that you take this loyal person and turn him into enemy number one absolutely killed the franchise for me. And he never recovered from that. He still hated the franchise. Even after it had new movies, he would refuse to go see any of them simply because they killed my boy in the first movie 
I don't support this franchise anymore, period. So what Mission Impossible has really done a great job of is say, yes, there are global implications with what the character is doing. What I will say is they've always made time and made certain that you felt connections with the IMF team that's trying to protect not only the world, they're trying to protect each other, which really is what the IMF feels like. It feels like the IMF spends more time protecting each other, and by protecting each other, they protect the world. So I love the fact that we get into that early on, and that's kind of the role. People are asking, you know, Ethan Hunt, they're like, hey, this threat is so huge. You might have to let people die in order to achieve your mission. And he's like, I can't accept that. There's no way I'm going to let anybody on my team die. And they're like, you may not have a choice. So I, I really like that this movie goes out of its way to make the stakes feel like they matter. Another thing I like about this series is the acting, of course. This is an action movie, so you're not going to see Oscar-nominated performances. What I will say is all the characters feel natural. So you start with Tom Cruise. He is Ethan Hunt. No matter where he's going, he feels like he is Ethan Hunt. So... I'm not sure where Tom Cruise begins and where Ethan Hunt ends. So the fact that he's still pulling it after all this time is commendable on his sake. You know, Ving Rhames, he feels like he's Luther back from the first movie till now. He just feels like I'm getting old, so I can't necessarily do everything that I used to do, but I can still do my best thing which is hack things simon pegg's character benji he still feels like he is exactly who you remember from mission impossible 3 till now also we get some new characters here we get Haley atwell who plays a character whose name is grace and she's just kind of thrown into this movie and I love the fact that they play Grace not as this, hey, she's this smart and capable character that knows what's going on and knows the risk. FYI, the way they play Grace is, she is absolutely out of her depth. And Haley Atwell plays this amazingly, I thought coming across as if you have not seen the other Mission Impossible movies, Haley Atwell's character is your insert character, but she becomes more than that throughout the movie. So I, I really do enjoy that. Uh, you have Palm Clementoff coming in here. Now, you may not recognize the name, but if I said Mantis from guardians of the galaxy is in this movie you would know exactly who i am referencing so she does not have the makeup and the cgi instead she just plays 
an absolute badass. And I do love that they are showing her in this be really a good action star. So I'm never sure how people are going to pull off action. It's one of the hardest things to do, which is to sell it, to make it look like you know what you're doing and that you're deadly and you're dangerous. And hey, Marvel movies and in this, she comes across as somebody who is definitely going to hurt you and hurt you a lot more than you may want. So you also have uh, Vanessa Kirby coming back. Alana, the arms dealer from the prior movies. And she comes in, she absolutely steals the show whenever she's on screen. I like what happens with her later on in the movie more than I like what happens to her in the mid part. Because I think that just shows Vanessa Kirby's range. I'm always, I've always been a huge fan of hers. So the fact that we get to see even more of that range, I love it. Also, you have uh, Asai Morales. He plays a mysterious figure in this movie who I'm not going to spoil. And I'm not going to spoil who the ultimate bad guy is, even though I'm sure we can all take a guess as what it is. It rhymes with blank blank two letters one guess so i'll let you fill in the blanks there also showing up in this movie is uh greg tarzan davis who if you don't remember the name greg tarzan davis was also in top gun maverick so hey man you're getting your bag here you're in more action movies i love it and, you know, he doesn't have a large role, but he does have a role. And it does make sense why he is in this movie and what his objective is. Because that's the Mission Impossible series. It is people driven by objectives. Another thing I really like are the action set pieces. This movie has a ton of them. Barring one action set piece... I think all of them are pulled off great. Some of them are really jam-packed. Some of them are more thrilling. And if you hate to watch Tom Cruise running, I don't know why you're even watching this franchise. But if you love watching Tom Cruise run, he still got the run. Even though he's gotten older, he does not run like an old man. He still looks like he runs like he's in his 30s. Like, he's got the form. I really wonder how much he just practices running in that regard. Because he still looks like he's fast. Which is, that's a skill. That is really a skill. I, as we've seen more actors who have been de-aged to look like their younger selves, we can obviously tell that they are not their younger self simply because of how they walk and how they run. And with Tom Cruise, he stayed in such excellent shape that when Tom Cruise is walking, he doesn't seem old. And when Tom Cruise is running, he still feels like he's Tom Cruise. He feels like he's going 20 miles an hour 
even though he may be running like a third of that. So, hey, big props to that on that little special effect. I always like seeing it and it's still here. And of course, you can't mention the Mission Impossible movie without the stunts. And there are one or two huge ones that you see that I'm just like, oh, wow, Tom, like, I'm really afraid that you're going to hurt yourself really, really badly. And if you do, I'm still going to see that movie just to show my appreciation of the fact that you are that crazy. I'm not saying everybody else needs to do it. I just appreciate it when somebody does. So I have all these positive things to say. I really don't like focusing on the negative, but there are some negatives. One negative is there is a car chase scene in this movie that starts out good and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. It goes, in my opinion, for decidedly too long. If they would have cut that in half, I feel like we could have gotten more of other scenes that I feel like would have been better in the movie. But hey, that's that's what we get. But I really don't like that car chase scene in particular. It takes place in Italy. You'll know it when you see it. And I hate it. Just because of the length, not because of what happens in it, but just because of how long it actually is. Also, there are some pacing issues in this movie. This movie sometimes will slow down to a glacial place. And also it will just speed up at breakneck speeds. I wish that it had taken a more moderate pace. I wish that it would have simply stayed at one speed throughout and what do i mean by stay at one speed throughout imagine the movie avengers endgame or really avengers infinity war avengers infinity war that movie from the very beginning kept a certain pace it never really slowed down it always felt like Time was still ticking and it was moving way too fast for anyone's liking. So the pacing never felt off because it just keeps that same pace throughout the entire movie. Even when people are stopping and they are talking, they're still moving because it's not, hey, we have weeks to plan this or we have days to plan this. They are saying, hey, we may have hours. So let's keep it moving and let's do this quickly. This movie does not feel like that. This movie does feel like it slows down once or twice, way too slow. And other times I feel like, hey, you slowed down a little bit too much there. And other times I feel like you sped up. I feel like you could go even faster. I think this would have been better suited for a little bit of a more moderate pace throughout the entire movie and if it was a moderate place throughout the movie i think it would have been just i think it would have been much better because you would have fit a little bit more action in there and you would have gotten a little bit more talking and dialogue in there because we do get some really interesting lore about the imf in this movie 
we're seven movies in, let's expand the IMF lore. But I do find it a little interesting. So that that's that's a downside, not the lore, but the pacing. I'll also say this, just my personal opinion. It's not necessarily going to affect people. The bad guy's name is terrible. The main villain, their name is terrible. It feels like unobtainium in regards to Avatar. What do I mean by unobtainium in Avatar? Well, in the Avatar franchise, not Avatar The Last Airbender, Avatar Water. Just remember that one. James Cameron's Avatar. In that movie, the special substance that they are mining is called unobtainium. That is notable because that's actually a placeholder name that they just couldn't figure out anything better. So they just kept it and said it was unobtainium and not to just come up with a new name for the element. This feels like the same thing. The name that they have for the bad guy feels like just a placeholder name until they got something better and they never got something better. So they just said, ah, we'll keep it. It's fine. That's why I don't love it. I understand why they did it. I just don't love it. I wish they would have given it any other name. They could have called it Mike and I would have been so much happier. So in conclusion, Tom Cruise is uh, one of the last of the old guard of action heroes where they act they do their own stunts and honestly outside of the old 80s 90s action heroes there are not that many left that are actively doing movies or actively doing action movies so tom cruise is really one of the last ones there we have new people coming up And we have younger people who are taking that mantle, but he's the one that's still around and he's still doing everything he can to keep his mantle. And I think he does it successfully. Now, the movie does have pacing issues. I don't think those pacing issues affect my enjoyment overly much, simply because when it was getting too long, they quickly sped it up afterwards and I was like, okay, that's, that makes me feel better. Maybe I'm going to catch some time. So one or two bad pacing issues don't impact to me what this story is. I like the lore. I like how the actors interact with each other because you're getting a lot more interactions between all of these characters than you normally would especially in a Mission Impossible movie, usually you get a lot more action than you do just conversations. And in this movie, you get a lot more conversations than you think, which I do enjoy. So at the end of the day, I was originally going to put it at a high home-cooked meal. Instead, I'm just going to put it at a low fine dining. It's a good movie. I think you should see it. I think you'll enjoy it. Tom Cruise still knows how to do action. And if you're just there for the action, 
you won't be disappointed. If you want a little bit of story in there, this will also give you some story. So that's my opinion on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. There will be a Part 2. Please remember that this movie is a two-parter. I will say I definitely expected that because they make sure you know up front it's Dead Reckoning Part 1, which I do enjoy because it sets the tone perfectly. Anyways, let me know what you guys think in the comments or send an email, anything like that, and I'll be happy to reach out and contact you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me in several places. You can contact me on Twitter at Two Sides Coin. You can find us on Instagram at Two Sides of a Coin. That's T-W-O-S-I-D-E-Z of a Coin, all one word. You can email us at Two Sides Podcast at gmail.com. And you can listen to the podcast on Podbean, on Spotify, and also on Apple Podcasts. So we hope to really hear from you guys. I love to hear and discuss anything you guys want to talk about. And we'll talk to you later.